I'm a pepper. He's a pepper. She's a pepper. We're a pepper. Wouldn't you like to, to be, be a, a pepper, pepper too? Howdy. You are listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. When you think about drinking a cold one in Texas, most people probably think about taking a pull off of a Lone Star long neck. But for many natives of Texas, the cold beverage of choice is none other than the most original soft drink ever, Dr. Pepper. But first, what's your favorite Dr. Pepper knockoff? Well, I'm going to go with, uh, I've been told that H-E-B's Dr. B soda tastes almost, but not quite, entirely like Dr. Pepper. I'm going to say Dr. Thunder. Because I love Jay Ferguson records from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm just going to say that we all know that when you go to a restaurant and you order a Dr. Pepper and they ask you, is Mr. Pibb okay? You say, no thanks, I'll just have a Coke. <laughs> Wade Morrison's Old Corner Drugstore was a regular meeting place in downtown Waco which in 1885 was known as Six Shooter Junction. People brought all sorts of things there, including stationery and cigars, not to mention the drugstore staple of the time, fountain drinks. Charles Cordes Alderton worked in Morrison's store as a pharmacist. When not filling prescriptions, Alderton would spend his time experimenting with various soda flavors and serving them to the store's customers. One such formula was a unique blend of fruit extracts and sweeteners that he felt was, quote, something different, and became extremely popular with the soda shop's customers. It was first served to the public on December 1st, 1885. Still officially nameless, customers came to Morrison's shop and asked them to, quote, shoot me a Waco, and shoot was slang for poor. Customers loved the drink, originally marketed as a brain tonic, an energizing pick-me-up, and urged Morrison to give the drink an official name. According to legend, and cited on the official history page of the Dr. Pepper Snapple Group, it was named Dr. Pepper, after Dr. Charles T. Pepper of Rural Retreat, Virginia. This real-life Dr. Pepper had given Morrison his first job many years before. Of course, there are conflicting stories of the soft drink's name. Morrison didn't leave behind a detailed history of how he picked it, and the Dr. Pepper Museum has collected over a dozen different tales of the matter. Some say that the pepper refers to the ingredient pepsin, which also gave the name to Pepsi-Cola. Another story refers to a U.S. Census report from that time period that shows a different Dr. Pepper living near Morrison in Virginia. Maybe it just came from the pep or energized feeling the beverage was supposed to give you. Whatever the actual truth may be, Alderton and Morrison's new drink became Dr. Pepper and has been known that way ever since. Before long, the demand for Dr. Pepper far outstripped the drugstore's ability to keep its customers supplied. Teaming up with local beverage chemist Robert Lazenby, Morrison opened the Artesian Manufacturing and Bottle Works in 1891 to mass-produce and distribute Dr. Pepper in a wider area. In September 1898, the Southwestern Soda Fountain Company of Dallas bought the rights to produce and sell Dr. Pepper fountain syrups and would eventually change its name to the Dr. Pepper Company in 1902. Dr. Pepper was introduced to the nation and to the world at the 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exposition, which was also known as the St. Louis World's Fair. While the brand persisted through the early 20th century, it wasn't quite a national hit. The Circle A Corporation, which had bought the original Artisan Bottle Works, was the only company to continue producing bottled Dr. Pepper concentrate, which could be mixed at home. 
Due to the high bottling taxes and rising commodity prices, they went bankrupt in 1920. In 1923, the remnants of A in the old Dr. Pepper Company would merge and incorporate as the new Dr. Pepper Company, with Lazenby's son-in-law, John O'Hara, as general manager. It was a small company and they struggled a bit, but they built a loyal customer base in the South and Southwest. Since franchising agreements stated that independent bottlers couldn't carry competing brands, they had trouble finding room in a market dominated by Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Business took off, however, after a 1963 district court ruled stating that Dr. Pepper is not a cola, which allowed independent bottlers to carry the alternative soft drink alongside the big cola brands. From 1968 to 1977, the Dr. Pepper Company's sales increased from around $42 million to $227 million. They achieved this growth by aggressively courting independent bottling companies under the leadership of CEO Woodrow Wilson Foots Clements. Mr. Clements was a lifelong Dr. Pepper fan and loyal company man. He started selling Dr. Pepper from a delivery truck in 1935 while attending the University of Alabama and joined the company in 1942. Under his enthusiastic and tireless leadership, Dr. Pepper expanded from a regional favorite into a national brand. He retired as Chairman Emeritus in 1996, and much of the Dr. Pepper Museum in Waco is devoted to his philosophy and tenure at the company. As successful as they were in the 1970s, the Dr. Pepper company struggled in the early 80s. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and 7-Up all continued to introduce new brands to the market and push Dr. Pepper off the shelves. Crystal Pepsi, anyone? Mm, Perhaps a Pepsi-free? New Coke. <laughs> the smaller debt-ridden company also had trouble raising advertising expenditures to compete with Big Cola. In an attempt to compete, Dr. Pepper concentrated on national advertising, which caused independent local bottlers to care less about pushing their brand. By 1983, they were searching for a buyer to bail them out, preferably a large conglomerate. Eventually, a consortium of buyers took the company private in 1984. After some back and forth in the market, they closed out their centennial year in 1985 with a 7.5% market share, the third largest soft drink brand on the market. In 1986, the Dr. Pepper Company merged with the 7-Up Company, remaining headquartered in Dallas. They were in turn purchased by Cadbury Schweppes in 1995, which continued growing and acquired Snapple Beverage Group in 2000, which also includes RC Cola, Diet Right, and Stewart's brands. In 2006, Dr. Pepper Snapple Group established its own bottling and distribution network. And so, in effect, what this means is, they went from being an independent producer that sold their syrup to independent bottlers. They became their own large national bottler chain. In effect, they became what Coke and Pepsi are. There's another story parallel to the success of Dr. Pepper. In 1891, the same year that Morrison and Lazenby started their artesian manufacturing and bottling company, a businessman named Sam Houston Prim came to Waco and tried this new Dr. Pepper beverage. He decided he had to sell it from his own Dublin Bottling Works. A deal was signed with Mr. Lazenby, and the Dublin Bottling Works actually became the first facility to bottle Dr. Pepper. Over the years, like any industrialized food manufacturing process, ingredients change and evolve based on cost and efficiency, not to mention subsidies and other economic pressures. And Dr. Pepper's no exception. It was originally formulated with cane sugar, but the soda later came to be made with high fructose corn syrup. Uh, this is common with a lot of the sodas. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole history having to do with sugar subsidies mm -hmm. and the price on the world right. market. And it's like people, the bottlers and everybody were just like, you know what, forget it. We'll just use this cheaper homegrown right. stuff from corn. The Dublin Bottling Works, however, has always maintained their original formula. And for years, they continued to produce what became known as Dublin Dr. Pepper. 
It was made with imperial cane sugar. Imperial cane sugar, which is made in Sugarland, Texas, yes. which is a real place. Yeah, it's just a, like Texas. It is a, it is, so it's a Texas brand with ingredients that are a Texas brand. Now, this was available throughout Texas, including in soda fountains at Jason's Deli and Love and War in Texas, which are both in Plano. Actually, Jason's Deli started in Beaumont. For years, there was a friendly relationship between the corporate Dr. Pepper company and this small family business down in rural Texas. But in 2011, things changed. Perhaps they were trying to capitalize on the popularity of the, quote, real sugar brand built by Dublin Dr. Pepper. The Dr. Pepper Snapple Group started producing and marketing their own real sugar variant in a packaging that was very, very similar to the bottle used by the Dublin Bottling Works. But they didn't use imperial cane sugar in that soda. They used beet sugar. Mmm, not so the same. not real sugar. Not real cane sugar. And to make things worse, in 2011... The Dr. Pepper Snapple Group decided to sue the Dr. Pepper Bottling Company of Dublin, claiming that they had been violating their licensing and distribution agreement by selling and distributing outside a specific set of counties in central Texas. The lawsuit raged for over a year, and the company settled in January of 2012. The result? Well, there's no more Dublin Dr. Pepper. But the cane-based sugar formula is still sold, but it no longer bears the Dublin Dr. Pepper name. It is still made in the same plant, however, in Temple, Texas. Yeah, so the Dublin Bottling Works had already contracted the production of their soda out mm-hmm. to a bottling plant in Temple, but now it's not being sold with Dublin Dr. Pepper on the bottle yes. anymore. So that's the short version of uh, Dr. Pepper's history. So what's so great about this soda? Alderton's original formula was meant to capture the smell of a soda fountain with its various fruit and spice aromas. He landed on his classic quote, 23 flavors that his customers agreed is unique. W.W. Foot Clemens is quoted as saying, I've always maintained you cannot tell anyone what Dr. Pepper tastes like because it's so different. It's not an apple, it's not an orange, it's not a strawberry, it's not a root beer, it's not even a cola. It's a different kind of drink with a unique taste all its own. In the great cola wars, Dr. Pepper lovers can always maintain that they're into something different. In addition to its unique and memorable flavor, Dr. Pepper also has a history of catchy ad campaigns. Once it was marketed as the king of beverages. And one ad from 1913 says Dr. Pepper is, quote, liquid sunlight that captures the sun's energy and instills vim, vigor, and vitality. The same ad proclaims it's made in Texas. Its its profits are spent in Texas to promote Texas industries. They're pretty proud of being Texan back in the day. We are from Texas. And why shouldn't they be? Why shouldn't exactly. they be? What time is it? Well, if it's 10, 2, or 4 o'clock, then it's Dr. Pepper time. According to the marketing of the mid-20th century, they even had a syndicated radio program called the 1024 Ranch, and later just 1024 Time, that aired throughout the South during World War II, which featured the Western singing group The Sons of the Pioneers and Dick Foran. And Sons of the Pioneers had... Uh, Roy Rogers. Yes. Yeah. yes. And you can even see there's vintage clocks that yeah. uh, Dr. Pepper sold with the big 1024 yeah. that they, they gave to factories so yeah. you'd know it's time. Now, during the 60s, someone had the bright idea to promote serving Dr. Pepper warm with a slice of lemon. Mmm. According to Bill Kloster, who ran the Dublin Dr. Pepper plant, this wouldn't be possible with high fructose corn syrup. Only a soda made with cane sugar would taste right when heated, and I dispute... The phrase, 
would taste right when heated because no soda would taste right when heated. I don't know. Nothing don't carbonated know. would taste right when heated. The, the, the flavor of Dr. Pepper is unique. I okay. can imagine that, that that might actually be good. But that explains the whole deal with the high fructose corn syrup versus sugar makes sense because the science of it, high fructose corn syrup doesn't caramelize the same way that real sugar does. So the flavor would not be the same, which also would explain why when I was a child, when I tried to drink heated Dr. Pepper with a slice of lemon, it tasted awful. Yeah. Mm. I think well, if you're looking for a discount and easy way to make cough syrup in your own <laughs> kitchen, folks, <laughs> grab a wedge of lemon and go to work. Yeah. So in the 1970s, we were treated to perhaps the most memorable Dr. Pepper slogan of all, be a pepper. Accompanying this slogan were the classic commercials featuring singing and dancing to the song, I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper, we're a pepper, wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? This was popular enough to get parodied all over the place. There was even an SCTV skit where oh, yeah. it took place in a doctor's office where, wouldn't you like to see my doctor too? Yeah, if it's <laughs> Made it all the way to Canada, huh? Yeah, it was all over the place. I remember it from like being a kid. Of yeah. The, I, yeah, I we vividly all remember, remember that. Yeah, that yeah I mean, it, it stick, sticks in everybody's head. Uh, now, an interesting bit of trivia, the featured star in many of these early commercials, and it didn't click until I read this just recently, um, the star of many of those commercials was David Naughton, who would go on to play the title role in the John Landis movie, An American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. It was his and now, now I can picture him yeah. dancing around. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's the same guy. Also featured in the Be a Pepper singing and dancing ads was Ray Bulger, who you may remember as the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. Well, and it's because that it was set to the tune of uh, If I Only Had a Brain, but it was Wouldn't You Like to Be a Pepper too. It was a similar. It was a it's, similar tune. It's similar. It's a similar. Tune. It's not the same. It's, it's a fact, similar tune. But that's why they they got. Yeah, I don't. Ray. I don't remember the guy's name that wrote it, but uh, I do remember reading that uh, Barry Manilow would perform the jingle in his concerts. Oh, really? Yeah, because he would do a medley of commercial jingles, yeah. some of which he wrote, and others that were written by other people, and that was one of them. Yeah, I, I remember the Wizard of Oz, the Scarecrow commercials vividly too. I feel like I'm I'm living in Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, the Bee of Pepper is a funny thing because I just had. An old t-shirt. I had a t-shirt that had the "Be a Pepper" logo on it, and it was yeah. kind of a retro shirt a few years ago. And unfortunately, it had too many holes in it. I had to get rid of it. But much like a flag, you can't just throw something with Dr. Pepper <laughs> on away. It has to be properly burned in an official ceremony. And yeah. listen, there's a lot of stuff that people outside of Texas don't understand, but you'll get it. And a more recent campaign that people may remember featured the slogan "Drink it slow, doctor's orders." And there was various celebrities connected to the word "doctor," including. Dr. Dre, uh, Dr. J, the famous basketball player, Gene Simmons from Kiss, call me Dr. Love, and uh, Neil Patrick Harris, who played a real doctor for Pretend on television, uh, Doogie Howser. TV's Doogie Howser. Yeah, TV's Doogie Howser. So, and that's um, that's probably their most recent campaign. Well, it's not the uh, most recent. They, it's a couple of years ago. They've had some misses, I think, that yeah. are not nearly as memorable. But, I think they uh, brought Gene Simmons back to to do more of the for the Cherry Dr. Pepper. Well, Gene Simmons and his son. Let's just be fair that Gene Simmons, you know, will shill anything. Pretty much, I mean, he's he's doing. They're doing Walmart. Kiss is doing Walmart commercials now. So and Android, and Android commercials too. Yeah. So a lot, much of their marketing history isn't nearly as memorable yeah, as the not. stuff we talked about. Um, there are a few other ads that, you know, back in the day, sodas, soft drinks were advertised very much like medicinal, you know. Mm-hmm drugs basically and so a lot of their ads featured drink dr pepper or you know drink a meal and it was supposed to 
you know, read a vital part of the whole 10 to 4 thing was like, hey, between meals, right. have Dr. Pepper and it'll keep you going. Hey, children, you know? polio and cholera might kill you. <laughs> But have this invigorating tonic. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's part of the early yeah. advertising history of sodas as it became more recognized as, okay, this is just a treat. This is something, you know, extra. doesn't really have any medicinal value. The, the, the advertising shifted now, to more of the... Has, the advertising is important, though, because it's, yeah. it's, you know, and maybe it's a Texan thing. And maybe I, two out of three people talking right now are Dr. Pepper aficionados. Yeah. And I will say this, like... <laughs> you guess which. There's... <laughs> There's something to be said for, you know, be a pepper tapped into something that was so iconic mm-hmm. because, you know, uh, there's something just so recognizable about what it is and in, in being a part of that, this this culture. I mean, put it in the Waterburger category of things. It's just something that you go, oh, well, let's, I'm not, Coke, <sighs> Pepsi. No, it's Dr. Pepper. It's well, something different. It's yeah. not It's not right yeah. or left. For, it's well, and it, it, it's saying, something new in an entirely different category. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned Whataburger because I, there's a lot of similarities, I think, in uh, overall philosophy and feel in the lives between uh, Harmon Dobson and uh, Foots Clemens mm-hmm. um, in the sense that they took this thing um, and... Clement's case, he didn't create it, but he came into Dr. Pepper, and during his tenure, he really transformed the company and took it from a small regional brand into a nationally competing brand. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was due to his own drive, doing things like, you know, where other distributors were paying like a four cent commission on bottles or something. He was paying out a dime, you know, he was yeah. like paying double. And he, he did a lot of, you know, we mentioned that they courted the independent bottlers to carry their, their soda. And he, you know, he, that was came from Clements. He kind of pushed that whole deal. It's like go to the independent bottlers. We really do things better, basically. Well, and and that 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 be a pepper. Maybe that's just my age and like like I'm, I'm biased towards things. But there is that be a pepper slogan is as memorable to me as have a coke and a smile as a as a marketing brand and as a as a marketing uh, jingle. And which is amazing for a for a soda that had like what ten percent of the market share at the time in the seventies and late seventies and early eighties, right? Well, yeah. let me ask you this: Do you want to hold hands with a bunch of hippies in the desert <laughs> singing about trying to teach the world to sing, or yeah. do you want to you know have jazz hands on Broadway? Yeah, um, jazz hands. When how long has has Dr Pepper always had the maroon color scheme? Um. There's always been some variation of kind of a yeah. reddish maroon. Yeah. Now, I remember from the early 80s when Diet Dr. Pepper first came out. I don't know if you guys remember, but mostly it was bottles, but they did start to have cans back then. They were blue. Hey, do you remember the I, blue I Dr. Do Pe- the blue Diet Dr. That, Pepper? Yeah. Right. And now Diet Dr. Pepper is in a white can with maroon letters. Um, and their advertising campaign is that how great it tastes and how much it tastes yeah, like Dr. I, Pepper. I do, and it doesn't. But <laughs> yeah, I also wanted to bring up I didn't it didn't make it into uh, our initial research that we talked about earlier. But uh, when Dr Pepper was first served in 1885, that was actually a year before Coke hit the market. Oh, so, so it that's that's where we, we mentioned in there that that Dr Pepper is actually the oldest soda brand in the United States. Well, where does it relate to Moxie? I don't know. I don't know about Moxie. <laughs> you know, that, the thing? I'm not familiar with that brand. Yeah. It's buried in a vault next to a case of tab. You know, the, I don't know. There's just certain things that people would say, like, 
you go like let you know you're not in Texas anymore. And I think like certainly maybe it's different now because of the ubiquitous nature of of how products are, and it's it is a global brand, but yeah, international conglomerates, but et cetera. There's a there was a you know there's before all of the Snapple business, it was a thing of when you went somewhere and there was no Dr Pepper. You couldn't feel further from home. Right. When I went uh, between 8th and ninth grades, I went on a class trip to Europe. We went to London and France, London and Paris and the countryside in between. I could not find a Dr. Pepper anywhere. There was Coke. Yeah. There was Pepsi. Um, there was, was no Dr. Pepper. 1990? Um, right around there, 89, 90. Yeah. And you were yeah. filled with hatred for well, it was all just, of <laughs> European <laughs> soda Well, no, it's, it's like you were saying, you know, you... I felt that much further from home because they did not have Dr. Pepper. I mean, they had McDonald's, they had Burger King mm-hmm. and Kentucky Fried Chicken, right. but they did not have Dr. Pepper. Yes. And so our first stop when we got back, uh, we all insisted that we go to Poncho's of all places because obviously we were children and knew no better. <laughs> but I was most excited about the Dr. Pepper and the fact that I could just raise a little flag and get my... Dr. Pepper refilled, and I drank as much as I possibly could. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think that's that's the thing is that this is one of those touchstones, is an emotional touchstone for a majority of Texans of, you know, what are the things that you identify with? And, it, and you, you know, if you're from a certain geographic area, there there's going to be identifiable brands and things that are just so innately Texans. It's not mm-hmm. just about, you know, these ancient legacies of history of, yeah. of Texas stuff. It's like Houston people be like, you know, there's a guy named Mattress Mac, and he's on TV all the time doing commercials. And there's there's familiarity to these yeah. to these brands and things, and and it's just a ubiquitous Texas. Yeah, experience. and there and there's that whole you know independent spirit that we talk about in Texas, mm. and Dr Pepper kind of embodies that for me, or at least it did at one point. Um, I remember when, again when I was a kid, I uh, had a good friend of mine, Steve Sasser, that we would sit around doodling on paper, you know, drawing stuff as kids do, and one of the things we came up with was we would draw the soda wars between Coke and Pepsi, and we drew like these big two-liter bottles with cannons coming <laughs> off of them shooting each other and springing leaks and the, the other one. And right there in the middle between them was a, was a significantly smaller uh, Dr. Pepper bottle, but it was surrounded by a force field and was separated from the conflict because obviously it was better. Well, as Mike hinted, uh, you guys are the Dr. Pepper fans. I... Cannot stand Dr. Pepper. Why don't you just sit down, put your hands in your lap, and be quiet for the <laughs> next 15 minutes? But I am not only in talk. this room am I surrounded by Dr. Pepper fans, but my wife loves Dr. Pepper. Her family, in addition to being Aggies, are huge Dr. Pepper fans. My family, uh, my actually my dad and mom like Diet Dr. Pepper and Dr. Pepper 10, but um, I grew up around Dr. Pepper. My dad loves to take a bottle of Dr. Pepper and a bag of Spanish peanuts and pours the Spanish peanuts into Dr. Pepper. Have you ever, ever had that? No, no. It's pretty no. disgusting, but he loves to drink it, and, you, and it, it soaks up, the peanuts soak up the Dr. Pepper. And, well, and, I will say that my early yeah. um, introduction to Dr. Pepper, probably, I remember mostly coming through my uncle, my mom's brother, uh, my uncle Buddy, and uh, he always drank doc, Dr. Pepper, so obviously I always drank Dr. Pepper, and I think there was a little bit of competition that whenever I would go visit, he would have to hide Dr. Pepper because I would drink it all before he got home from work. It's a unifying thing. And it's, it's funny you talk about like, well, they're Aggies. Like, well, I know plenty, plenty of... <laughs> Longhorns. Longhorns. There's lots of Baylor Bears. There's yeah. lots of, you know, SMU Mustangs. It's just, it's a Texas thing. Yeah, I, I feel like an anomaly for not liking Dr. Pepper in Texas. Well, you, but but I don't, an anomaly, I just you're don't an anomaly, like but not yeah. for that reason. Yeah. 
there was a time <laughs> called the '90s, and you might you know you might ask your your dad about your Pearl Jam, dusty old Pearl Jam records he likes, <laughs> or the you know the the quote unquote grunge fashions of the day. But the there came about a, a, a drink that popped up in bars. They had the flaming Dr Pepper. You know, I guess it would be like the, the all the Red Bull alcoholic drinks and things. But at the time, I remember when it came out, it was it was the big thing to order. Yeah. Well, what I thought re- was remarkable about it is it was a drink that uh, starts out with a shot glass of some sort of liquor and a big uh, boilermaker kind of mug of beer, and you light the liquor, shot of liquor on fire, and then you drop it in the beer, and then you drink it, and it tastes like Dr Pepper. But there's no actual Dr. Pepper in it. Yeah. Right. So whatever that magical formula is, was pretty delicious. I just remember and there dangerous. was a, I just remember and again and dangerous. Yes. <laughs> this is maybe more culture than culture than history. It is dangerous because I do remember that there were two guys who burned their faces in college. <laughs> well, they didn't actually get burned. They were just on fire. There's oh, yeah. A, there's right. a distinction. Yeah. They did change their eyebrows though. Yeah. yeah. You burn they burned the hair off their face. <laughs> yeah. In and, parts. And, and there's one other thing that I want to talk about involving the whole independent spirit and the brouhaha over Dublin Dr. Pepper a few years ago. Pretty much most of the people that I talked to that like Dr. Pepper preferred Dr. Pepper with made with real sugar. It tastes different than the stuff you get out of the soda fountain at McDonald's that you get out of most cans and bottles in the grocery store. The sugar gives it a distinctly sweeter and more, I don't know, delicious flavor. Um... You can, but everybody, you know, got accustomed to the whole Dublin. Everyone got accustomed to the whole Dublin Dr Pepper brand, and it was a specific, special thing. And it's like, okay, it's not as prevalent as regular Dr Pepper. It's special. Yeah, it was glass bottles that were smaller. They well, it wasn't just bottle. that. It, it wasn't was, just that. It's just the whole. It, it was. Yeah, you was, could get it in the cans and yeah. stuff too, but you had to physically go to get it. Like it was. But you it could wasn't buy. But you could. For a while but you could right. buy the bottles, the six packs of Dublin Dr Pepper bottles at the grocery store here and occasionally. Dallas. You could. Yeah. You could find it some places, but, but it wasn't a common thing yeah. back back yeah. when. This, but, back before. This. But it, the whole reason that it was still made with sugar was back in whenever Dr Pepper as a whole started to switch over to the the corn syrup. The the clusters at the Dublin bottling plant. Um, they said, why change it? You know, we've been selling this product to our customers for years and years. Everybody loves it. We're going to keep using sugar. So they were the holdouts independent because the way the whole bottling system works is you the bottling plants license the formula from the companies. And then they, it's like we mentioned earlier that, you know, Dr. Pepper sells their syrup to the bottlers. Well, that's not really how it works. They sell the formula and they license the formula and the bottler makes it all kit and caboodle. You know, it's like, it's a manufacturing plant in and of itself. And they get their own materials. And they get their own ingredients as long as it, maintains the formula within a certain you know Tolerance. measure of quality mm-hmm. it's you know satisfies the license but the Dublin bottling company they were like you know what we're going to keep our formula because our customers like it and so they maintained that independent spirit and that loyalty to their customers and that you know small town Texas sort of feel to things and so when the Dr Pepper Snapple group came in and said you know we want to capitalize on this goodwill and we're going to make our own sugar formula and market it you know and labeling that's similar but not the same kind of took advantage of that goodwill and then on top of that decided to sue them because they decided they were because people obviously still preferred the Dublin Dr. Pepper brand they sued them to try and prevent them you know saying that they were violating their agreements and stuff so I remember reading about that in the Dallas Observer and some other places and it was just it's just frustrating because you say why can't they just keep doing what they want to do it was unseemly the whole yeah. thing and it was it all it felt like 
it, it was portrayed a lot as outsiders, as the the Cadbury group from overseas coming in and telling this little Texas company what to do and taking advantage of a Texas brand and changing it. And, and it, and it seemed that way. And there was, there was a lot of hard feelings about it. Yeah. But you know, business is what it is. Yeah. I still like Dr. Pepper. People didn't stop drinking Dr. Pepper. No. They didn't swear off Dr. Pepper. No. It's one of the realities of the time we, we sort of live in. And and I think it is, it, it is a bit of a sad tale, but but it's a fascinating piece of history of how this kind of yeah brand like how the, the what we have today is still very much the essence of the original. Yeah, and I think it's interesting how it parallels the whole thing that we whole process that we talked about in the the Texas beer episode, where you know there were a lot of independent breweries in Texas, and then the big national brands came in and took things over and you know bottled things in different places and blah 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 and all of that, and then the craft beer movement emerged after that well we kind of have seen that in sodas overall is like we've got the big brand Mm -hmm. you know comes in and takes over things but then we've got the dublin bottling company is still in business and they're still bottling their own independent Mm -hmm. sodas and some of the smaller brands triple triple x for instance another texas brand that we'll talk about in the future but you know so there's there is that element of the, the big industry coming in and international conglomerates taking over everything, but there's still the independence within right. that. Right, and and it did sort of allow the Dublin Bottling Company to expand their brand, their own brand. Yeah. And and Dublin sodas are really good. You can get them at a lot of the local grocery stores here in Dallas, and you can order them online. Um, they're, they're very good. So kudos to you. Way to go, Dublin. What time is it? Dr. Pepper time. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can also find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sharma, two ends. And I'm Scotticus. Tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes. That's what helps us get noticed and reaches new listeners, just like you. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas... Texas wants you anyway. anyway.